As you can imagine, we spent a lot of time today discussing what happened last week on the Trans Canada Highway near Carberry, and got lots of feedback from truckers on their either experiences involving crashes or their near misses. And some of the feedback was quite harrowing today. Also, big changes at WestJet with both Swoop and Sunwing. What does this mean for you, the consumer? Big weekend in sports, including another big win for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Jim Toth joined us for a recap. And what's something you rely on too much? Like I rely on Facebook to give me birthday reminders to the point where I end up missing a birthday if somebody's not on Facebook. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, June 19th podcast for The Start. Couldn't hear myself there. Yay, Monday. The week's off to a rip-roaring start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Day after Father's Day, Mr. Greg, you, you, you gave several reminders last week. Yes, I did. Did those reminders prove to be fruitful? No, no, no. Didn't even get a handmade card from the kids. I went out and bought my own gift on Saturday. It was a yeah. slam dunk <laughs> success. What'd you get yourself? Some clothes, man. I needed some new shorts and a couple other things. Worked out nicely. I don't mind picking my own stuff, but uh, yeah, all the hints in the world did not work at my house. What can I say? I'm not as popular as I think I am. (laughs) What about you, Loren? How did Father's Day go at your house? And it was sort of a double celebration at your place yesterday. Oh, it was a triple celebration, and my oldest had his confirmation, and we had Father's Day, and then it was my birthday, so we did a a great day of celebrating and eating and eating too much, so I feel like I have a food coma today, to be honest, but it was good. It was fun. And then we're actually at 6.45. We're going to get a little bit more into that because we've got bomber tickets up for grabs for Thursday's game against BC. But the things that we become too reliant on, because I knew that your birthday was coming, I got... Uh, uh, one of those Google Photo memories popped up from when I stopped by your place a few years ago, Loren, to bring you a bottle of wine for your birthday. So mm-hmm. it was on my radar, and uh, just I didn't get a reminder from Facebook, so therefore I forgot to wish you a happy birthday. I just if, that, if I don't get that reminder from Facebook, I just completely forget. Well, about it's funny. I, now. I don't even. I, I very rarely go on Facebook anymore, and so I miss those reminders myself. And then I had a few people say, but I sent you a message where I reached out and that's how they're doing it, right? Through social media, which I'm just not on as much as I used to be. So it's funny how we, you know, you take a piece of technology and you get so used to having it help you and then you get sick of it, which was what happened to me. And now, you know, in in the opposite way, it hurts you because you don't hear out, not just on your birthday, but people will reach out for other things. I sent you that story idea. I did this or that. And I think, oh, man. I've missed out because I'm just not using it like I used to. Well, there are so many ways to reach out when you think about it. I've got a personal email. I've got a work email. I've got a a number that you can text me on. You can also call me on that same number. I'm not likely to answer. What a novel idea. I'm not likely to answer that phone unless unless your name comes up in my phone. And then you have direct messages via Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And And that's just off the top of my head is that seven different ways for people to reach out 
And people do reach out in different ways. I know I don't do Facebook very often either. I went into that uh, Facebook Messenger, which is a separate icon on my phone. I must have had 11 different messages in there. Like, uh, oh, I'm coming to Winnipeg next week. Do you want to get together? Uh, Yeah, that was three months ago. I I did not see that. (laughs) Sorry. And you miss out on the connecting that way. But also I have found in recent months, you know, someone will say, I had this happen with a friend. I was texting them. They live in another province. How are you? How are things going? You know? And they said, well, obviously you haven't been paying attention. And I said, sorry, I'm not, is something wrong? And they had lost a loved one, you know? And uh, I had no idea because that message was posted on Facebook and I'm not on there. And so I missed out on also the the bad news that gets shared that way, right? And people are so used to it. They post it there, then you'll know about what's going on in their life, assuming that that's how everybody's connecting. And when it's not, you miss out on the opposite end and you start to think, well, is it my responsibility to check in there so I know what's going on? Because now we're not doing what we used to do even 15 years ago was tell people directly or have it spread by word of mouth, if that makes sense. No, it it completely makes sense. And so I try and flip the tables on people. and, And if they ask me how I'm doing or whatever, I say, you weren't listening to the show this morning. You don't know. I should, you know, I share lots of stuff, and inevitably it comes back to bite me. No, 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 no I was busy or oh, whatever. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that Facebook feed does has become that uh, default sort of phoning around and and sharing the good news, the celebrations, the milestones in our lives, and a lot of people feel like if I posted it on Facebook, anybody that's in my network should have seen it and. And I've done my job. Yeah. yeah, phone call would be nice once in a while. So we'll get more into that at 645, the things that we are too reliant on. Also today, much to discuss on last week's tragedy on the Trans-Canada. And Greg, I understand that uh, you've just moments ago secured somebody, uh, one of our friends on the road yep. uh, for just after 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's right, Brett. Uh, he's one of the best truck drivers in Manitoba. He's continually uh, honoured. Uh, that way, he's joined us many times over the years. David Henry will join us just after 8.05. And in fact, after 6.35, after Sarah McCarthy's Global News at 6.30, we'll hear David's voice in a terrific uh, piece of journalism put together by Global Nationals anchor Donna Friesen. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, she stands uh, right where she grew up, the farm west of Winnipeg near Eli and and talks about the intersection and the fact that the Trans-Canada Highway, in fact, bisects her family farm there. So we'll hear about that in about 30 minutes' time. We'll hear David's voice in that story. And then just after 8 o'clock, David will join us about life on the road. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thousands of runners hit the streets of Winnipeg for the 45th Manitoba Marathon yesterday. Global's Catherine Dornian has this recap. Good luck out there, runners. We'll see you at the finish line. From a foggy early morning start to a triumphant finish, thousands of runners came out for the 45th annual Manitoba Marathon. Races from 5K to 50K had everyone feeling the adrenaline. This is my seventh uh, marathon, full marathon, yeah, uh, and we just finished uh, uh, Boston. This is my 13th one, and I'm very, very excited because today is such a nice weather. This run was really good because I felt so strong coming across the finish line. That makes the race when you finish strong. Oh man, adrenaline pumped up, seeing everyone in the stands, hearing everyone cheering for you is amazing. 
amazing feeling. We all got our BQs, actually. Yeah. Yes. yes. Great. So you're all going to Boston? We're all going to Boston. Yes. Boston. The fastest marathon runners qualified for next year's Boston Marathon. But plenty more run for personal bests and for fun. For one family, it's a Father's Day celebration. This, for me, it's the best Father's Day ever. To be able to run with these guys was off the charts. Rick, Gary, and Michael Bohinski, three generations of runners, all finished the half marathon together. 81-year-old Gary runs nearly every day of the year. Whether it's plus 35 or minus 40 with the wind chill, he's out there, icicles hanging from his oh, eyes, yeah. coming in, going at 6.30 in the morning. And for hundreds of people out here on a Sunday morning, race day is a family event they come back to again and again. It has become a family tradition for 27 years. We have family emblems, the hot tamales. My husband usually runs the marathon and my son came in ahead, so we like to run as a family. I enjoy doing this one. I enjoy it every year. Some hoping to continue the tradition for years to come. Catherine Dornian, Global News. So envious, so jealous of these individuals who have this dedication, this ability to run these long distances. It's got to be punishing, but you can hear the reward in their voices, Loren. Oh, I think that that's the thing. You, you, it's uh, for some for sure. Just the time you want to hit, and you might have that goal of the Boston Marathon or the goal to just you know your personal best or do better than the previous year. But I think really at the end of the day, what it's about is the crossing that line. Period. Uh, for so many, it would be just I would like to finish a marathon one day. And when you do that, man, that's got to feel so good. We had Rachel Monday of the marathon on just last Thursday, saying that that's the best part of the whole race, watching people as they cross the finish line. And there's all sorts of reasons. I've I've, I've covered that before. Years gone by, and I'll never forget a father who on Father's Day crossed the line in memory of his son and the tears that were streaming down his face because he had always wanted to do it with his kid, and his kid had passed away. And there's a lot of emotion attached to that day because uh, it's not just the running that it's about, right? There's so much more involved with it, probably more than the athleticism itself. Our question of the day uh, last week on Friday morning was the Manitoba Marathon goes on Sunday. Have you ever ran a marathon or wanted to run a marathon? 78% said haven't thought about it. 11% say I've thought about it, haven't done it yet. 6% say I've run multiple marathons and just uh, under 5% say I've run one full marathon. Uh, so in the meantime, the standout part of that story for me was uh, how some people just do it for fun. I'm like, oh, <laughs> What are you doing tomorrow? You know, I was thinking about 45K. What do you think? Or 42 or whatever it adds up to. If that's your idea of fun, I salute you. Really, truly, I do. I hate running and uh, I don't want to do it. But right now, let's talk, continue to discuss the Trans-Canada Highway. It's a lifeline that runs across the country. Taken for granted in the modern day, paved roads outside of our cities were relatively rare until the 20th century. Yeah, it's a highway many of you use daily. I use it almost daily because it's essential either for work trips, for long trips, road trips, and also along it when you're making even those minute excursions or days-long excursions, you see the reminders of lives lost, right? The crosses along the highway, like one that I'm sure will go up uh, to mark the spot where 15 were killed last week at the corner of 1 and 5. And so Global's National, Global National's Donna Friesen spent some time talking to drivers who are regularly on this road. They were at the Professional Truck Driving Championships over the weekend and got their thoughts and what they've seen and what they hope for on the open road. It is truly the open road. West of Winnipeg, the Trans-Canada Highway stretches across the prairies like a ribbon, offering the possibility of trade and travel. 
and no one knows the road better than truckers. I worked at this truck stop when I was 14, and this weekend it hosted Manitoba's Professional Truck Driving Championships. Dave Henry has been a trucker for 35 years. What went through your mind when you heard about the crash? I was, uh, was sick to my stomach because every one of us has seen very close calls multiple times a day. The highway is Canada's artery. Inside all these vehicles are truckers delivering what we need to survive, tourists exploring the country, families taking vacations, and seniors going on bus trips. A reminder, some road trips end in tragedy. This is where I grew up, on a farm right next to the Trans-Canada Highway. The road only has a stop sign. The farm is actually intersected by the highway. And like so many people here, we crossed it multiple times a day with farm equipment, vehicles, and his kids on the school bus. Anyone who drives it or lives near it knows what it means to cross it. It's not talked about much, but many truck drivers, Dave says, carry a heavy burden. A lot of truck drivers suffer from PTSD. Have you had near misses yourself? I've had more than near misses, yes. I've had, I've had, uh, accidents. I've had a lot of, um, I, I've, I've seen too much. One that involved a crash was a car driving up fast beside me, lost control, and wiped out in front of my truck. And, and it's slippery, I have nowhere to go. And all I see is this girl's face looking at me as she's sliding towards me and I hit her there and I'm I'm thinking I just killed that girl you know and I see the car go spinning off in the side and uh, I'm, I'm watching it in the mirror because I'm like don't roll over don't like be fine the girl he says was not killed but close calls like that haunt long-haul truckers and Henry now an advocate for mental health is thinking about both drivers involved in the Carberry crash. Get the therapy you need. Talk it out with people. Even the one that's not at fault, he, that person is going to have a lot to deal with. This has affected both of these drivers for the rest of their lives. And when we see truckers driving down the highway now, what should we be thinking about them? Give them space and be thankful that they're out there trying to move goods for everybody. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy job and they're trying to do their job and get home safe to their families and their loved ones. And we're all trying to do that. Something to think about as we take to the open road across this vast country. David Henry will join us just after eight o'clock. That voice that you just heard in conversation with Donna Friesen and uh, Donna also mentioned that David's an advocate for mental health and I can only imagine the issues that the drivers uh, that survived this crash in Carberry, both of them are going to have. We'll ask David about that, the psychological impacts, not only of being involved in a crash, but but near misses. Mm. And I want to ask David as well, you know, this whole idea, Canada has this one Trans-Canada Highway and then, you know, several different uh, arteries that that act to to supplement it, including in Western Canada, the Yellowhead Highway. Yep, our population is one-tenth of the United States, but they have dozens, dozens of interstates that crisscross 
that country. Could we not have one single highway that emulates that interstate model and eliminates at-grade crossings? At least one, Loren? Is that is that ludicrous to to suggest? And and what are the differences between driving on the interstate versus the Trans-Canada Highway? I'd be anxious to know from David what he thinks the differences are. I think that that's a great point because if you think about even just your drive down Highway 75 into North Dakota, which has a population that's less than Manitoba, I don't think you have any intersection that's not uh, a bypass. I'm trying to think right now if I've ever seen someone at a stop sign merging onto the 75. I'm sure there is, but in most cases, they have just by overpass after overpass. And, you know, the premier is going to be in an update at noon on this crash that took place uh, last Thursday. They're just providing a general update, but maybe there's time to ask some serious questions about can we get one highway to be built better coast to coast. want to tell you how you can win bomber tickets for Thursday's game against BC at IG Field, and it has to do with Loren's birthday. It was Loren's birthday yesterday. Happy belated birthday, Loren. And because I didn't get a notice, I knew it was coming, but I didn't get a notification on Facebook, and uh, it made me realize that I have become way too reliant on Facebook for birthday notifications. So what is something that you rely on? Too much, whether it's technology or maybe something simple like coffee or maybe it's a person. 204-780-6868. What do you rely on too much? Cameron Poitras, why don't we start with you, good sir? Uh, well, this one is is an ongoing struggle. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of uh, taking, well, I hope I'm taking some steps here. I'm trying to get ahead of it. It's, you know, becoming too reliant on like drive throughs and fast food and that sort of crap. Um, you... You know, you you sort of get into uh, a rhythm. You're driving to work. You're driving from work, and uh, you know you 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 kind of it becomes like almost like a habit or a pattern. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go grab something, and then that leads to it doesn't doesn't lead to anything good. And I had a bit of a a situation a few weeks ago that kind of uh, kind of you know I don't know like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an old person. I'm, you know, I'm 31, I'm almost 32, but it was, it was enough of a situation where it's like, I need to, I need to get this sort of under, under control now while I'm still at this age. And then if I get to 50 or 60 or something like that, I mean, these habits are, are almost even more difficult to break. And so, yeah, that's, that's one that, uh, that I've become way too reliant on and, and it's, it's up to me to fix it. Yeah. Well, and the food that is served in those drive-thrus is nefarious, right? Because oh, you, it's you, so delicious yeah. and fantastic, and it, it, it's exactly what you want, right? And uh, yeah, it's NG. It's no good. It's no good. <laughs> Do you not have that feeling, too, like as soon as you've done it? You know, you're so happy to have it, and then it's just instant remorse, like three minutes after you finish eating it, because you think, I didn't need that. Totally. Now I feel gross, and I'm driving home, and I should get to go for a walk when I get home. Well, then I don't, you know? And then it's like, it's just, it's this horrible feeling you get it's a, you get your endorphins hit right it's your you you have you have an addiction to it mm-hmm. um it's the salt it's the fat it's all that stuff that you know goes the after sugar, you, the sugar the it, it hits all those evolutionary wires in your brain that say i need to stuff my face full of this thing so i can survive you know when things get tough and but it's it's sort of like it's going up against uh what's you know like where we're hitting up against you know the th- 
10,000-year-old man that we're still battling, I think, as humans, but that's just... <laughs> Sometimes just the, the mere visualization of the of the food yeah. or driving past the sign. That's for what, me. Yes. Would, would, would pull me in. I'm going on four months essentially without fast food, without drive-through, and uh, it was it's one of the hardest things I've done. And Coca-Cola... I, I basically cut it out altogether. That doesn't mean I don't have pop and I've had one or two Coca-Colas in the last four months, but keep stick to it, Cam. You can do it, brother. Yeah. You I can mean, do it. Oh, a Coke? But it's not easy. Cold Coke is so good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're sucking Stop. him back in. You suck <laughs> him back in. I'm just saying, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's that hard because this is, this is, it's so ubiquitous with our lives. Like childhood, bam, it gets you. And it's just part of everyday experience in this country. So. My tummy's really rumbling right now. Sarah McCarthy, <laughs> what about you? Same here, but I rely far too much on like Google Maps, Apple Maps. I'm, I'll be the first to admit I have no sense of direction uh, and just horrible memory of places. Unless I like drive it every day, of course. Like I don't use my maps to get to work, of course. But um, just I think reading a real map is just in general a lost art, a lost skill. So I think there's lots of us that might rely on. The online maps now. Was but. it Sherlock? Those those map books? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love those things. You can still get them. Yeah. Okay. okay. I need to pick I should. Some up. <laughs> I should. And, and then give them to my cabbies in the morning. Sometimes I get in the, ca in the cab. They're like, where are you going to? One Portage. Yeah. Uh, where's that? Portage in Maine. So I, and then they're punching mm -hmm. it into their GPS. Like, dude, yeah. it's Portage in Maine. Yes. You drive a taxi. If you need the yeah. GPS to get you there, uh, probably shouldn't be doing this job. Yeah, yes. we, we, we have a problem, Houston. <laughs> Jeffrey Forche, what about you? For me, it would be my AirPods or earbuds. Uh, I probably listen to about like at least three hours a day. Uh, I'm using them. I'm listening to stuff, uh, whether it's... Uh, First thing in the morning, like I put them on, I get ready for work, listen to music, pump myself up, get into the cab, I'm listening. I take them out once I get into this room, and then when I leave here to go home, they're back in. When I go for a walk, I have them in. Like I'm constantly on them. And it, 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 like there's times where I forget the case, which charges them. I forget that at home, and it's like, I'm just like, well, my day is ruined. Just because, like, now I don't have anything to listen to when I'm on my way home. And there's been times where they're, they're dead, but I'll still wear them just so, you know, people don't really talk to me on the bus. <laughs> and have the feeling that they're there. They have the feeling. Exactly. But I rely on them every single day. Loren McNabb, what about you? Oh, there's, like, so many things now that you guys are talking. Um, but I, I, like, try to do too many things at once. And so I've gotten this bad habit where like I have to set a t the timer, like whether it's on my phone or on the microwave, like the microwave is always going off. And someone in the house will be like, do you know why that's beeping, mom? And I'm like, why is that beeping? What did <laughs> I set that for? Like to the point where say, for example, I'll fill the tub or I'll be like soaking a shirt in the sink to get out a stain and I'll start the water. And instead of just standing there for the 30 seconds to fill a sink, I leave right? To go do something else to multitask. And then I'm racing back, you know, as the sink about to over overflow or the tub is overflowed. So I now set timers, but then I don't necessarily know, you know what the timers for. Like it's become, it's too much. I'm just too scatterbrained. So many timers, you don't even know what the timers are for. Sometimes I'm just like, was that for the oven? Was that for the <laughs> laundry downstairs? There's a reason why I set that. Like, wow. Yeah. And Macklin, what about you? I have to set the timers on a regular basis also. But the big one is uh, I miss the paper, the paper copy of my hydro bill. 
You know, like <laughs> just become yeah. a, a dependent on these online bills and these online invoices. I prefer the paper bill. I miss the graphs, all the information I used to get. I haven't been able to figure out how to get the same information online. So I'm thinking about actually <laughs> unregistering for the online billing so I can get the bill back in the mail. Mm-hmm. I want more information. Help. Right now, I want to get right into this here because it's how many of you get to some of your favorite sunny destinations. In the last 48 hours, we have learned Sunwing will soon be a thing of the past. Yeah, or sort of a thing of a past because WestJet will be winding down its Sunwing operations and integrating it back into the main business in part of what they call a two-year plan to streamline operations. And so this news comes just a week after we learned that WestJet was going to do the same thing with its low-cost carrier Swoop. So does this change anything for the future of travel, whether it's within this country or to those sunny dense destinations? Marty Firestone is the president of Travel Secure and our go-to travel guy on the start. Good morning, Marty. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And and when I saw this headline, my instinct was to think that things wouldn't be, you know, that low-cost trips might be harder to find. But you tell me, does this make any difference in the long term for travel? Let's start with those sunny destinations. What's not clear, and I can't imagine that's going to go by the wayside, is the Sunwing vacations. Those are the all-week all-inclusive vacation to the Cancuns, to all the islands and all the sun destinations. It appears they'll still be there. You will be on a WestJet plane. I guess the Sunwing logo and the Sunwing orange plane is going to be gone ultimately. But I think those hopefully low-cost vacations will still be there. But who's kidding who? It won't be a separate airline anymore, and they will be all part of WestJet, and that will no doubt have an effect on the pricing for sure. Yeah, so these buyouts, these uh, mergers, these integrations, whatever we want to call them, at the end of the day, Marty, it's less competition, and we know what that leads to. Yeah, we we wake up today with two discount airlines, Swoop and WestJet, uh, sorry, Swoop and and Sunwing, that aren't going to be around in in a couple of years. We'll Swoop right away and and, uh, Sunwing integrating. So take two out of the picture. I don't care who it is. It's going to create less competition, and that means one thing to us as the traveler and consumer, and that's higher ticket prices. So, yeah, the, the, would, I guess there's really no incentive for WestJet to to keep the prices lower or to give us the, the discounts we may have previously received? Well, let's talk about what happened. I mean, once they had to give the pilots that higher increase, you knew that something was going to drop and something was going to happen. Where's that money going to come from? You can't get it from offering these ultra low prices, you've got to get them up somehow to be able to afford what you agree to in this salary contract. So guess where it came from? It came from us, the consumers, us, the traveler. But at the end of the day, like they just bought Sunwing this year and that strike just happened this year. And so prior to that, what was going on in the industry that would see this, A, this acquisition, but then also just this change to the idea that WestJet, at the very least, appears to be getting rid of all the lower cost and I put that in quote options yeah and there's a few more that maybe could come I mean we had a we had a bunch maybe too many of these low-cost airlines and basically it was impossible to to survive I think is the best word to put it but we the consumer benefited from all those different opportunities and now the bottom line is two will be gone you won't have those two to be able to go to so the the two large airlines now Air Canada and WestJet can of course 
charge more, and they will get it because people are traveling more than they ever have. So they're going to pay the higher price, and the airlines are going to probably do very well from all of this. Marty, does any of this stem from what we saw over the last couple of years, last winter in particular, the inability for these discount carriers to get people home from destinations when, you know, when there were staffing shortages, uh, to get people to where they wanted to go and uh, for their luggage to ultimately meet them there? Does any of this, does any of this have anything to do with that? Yeah, it's a great question. If I'm looking for any silver lining in this entire thing, it will be that. Let's say Sunwing had 30 planes to call upon, and if there was a mechanical breakdown or a weather disruption, you really were stuck where you were because they didn't have another plane to quickly go down and get you and replace that plane. Now, if we're trying to think and look through positive glasses here, we're going to say that there are over 100 planes now at WestJet. So when one is stranded in Mexico, they can send down another plane to come and get you. So looking at it positively, this will be a plus for sure. What if I've got a trip that's booked for down the road on either Swoop or Sunwing? Should I be concerned right now? Not at all. I mean, if you have a trip that you've purchased and you've bought, that's going to be honored. Who's kidding who? And the Sunwing still insists. And they almost have to because the government gave them some very strict regulations to follow to allow the purchase. But they've got to keep all the routes open, even add some additional routes. So they're going to honor everything that, of course, has been sold. What they come out with with next year's schedule and what next year's prices and offerings will be, that could be a different story. But if you have something already in place, nothing at all will change. If anything, the service will improve. You won't get stranded down in a destination. Your baggage will come quicker. And I think all very positive things. Just 30 seconds here, Marty. You touched on baggage coming quicker. A lot of people have made that shift in that wake of luggage never making it to the destination or making it later. A lot of people moved to carry on. And we were reading in the news just this month about how, I think it was Air Canada and Toronto, it sounded like customers were saying they're really cracking down on the carry on because people are bringing on the suitcase and then the bag and then the backpack and then the purse. Uh, what do you know about what might change in the future of the luggage? I think like like it's been for the past little while, the, the ones who have the zone one and two are going to get their carry-on baggage on the plane. All the others are going to be forced, if everyone's bringing carry-on, to put it underneath anyway. So you might as well bring regular luggage for that scenario. But who's kidding who? It's changed our mindset. Many people now pack lighter, pack less, and are happy to have it on the plane with them. But again, only X amount can go on top of the uh, luggage racks and the rest on the bottom. So I think depending on what zone you you check in at, that's going to determine what kind of bag you take and what you're going with. Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Yeah, just so if the destinations are still uh, intact, and I guess there's still the possibility of going to El Cid Castilla. (laughs) (laughs) And Q and Q, the Canadian entrepreneurs who are sitting around and going, oh, this is our opening to open another airline. We can do this. We can compete with Air Canada. We can compete with WestJet. I wonder how long it'll be. Lots of our listeners are truckers. And one of them who tell, is always telling us stories from the road. He's, a, he's an author. He has a book called Stories from the Road. His name is Don. And uh, he gave us some, some uh, really poignant, uh, heartfelt feedback today. Yes, even though he wasn't involved, clearly, this crash does hit hard, says Don. I've lost a few friends and 
co-workers to incidents like this. One was almost identical. Semi blew a stop sign and my co-worker went clean through the trailer. In the other one, one friend was killed in the driver's seat in a head-on and his partner was ejected from the bunk through both windshields and died in the air ambulance. And so, Loren, uh, not only do our thoughts and our appreciation go out to first responders in, in situations like this, but also those who are involved in, in either industry, whether it's driving truck, driving bus, this is going to have an impact, whether they were in the same province, whether they were even maybe even in the same country when this happened or where this happened, because it's going to remind them of the close calls that, that they've had along the way. I, I'm, I can only imagine that there isn't a single trucker in the audience that hasn't had either that near miss or been right directly involved in the crash because of just the sheer hours that they put on that road. And we've been talking this morning about the idea of, you know, can we do better on the Trans-Canada? For sure, there's going to be conversations in and around the Highway 1, Highway 5 corner because of what happened there last week and just the sheer volume of traffic that appears to be at that corner uh, that I think requires some change. But can we do better, period, on on really making the Trans-Canada more of that freeway style? And sure, there's going to be barriers. There's places, if you think along the Great Lakes, you know, in the Shield, it'd be hard to build, maybe double, to add better structure there, maybe. But but are there points where we should be thinking about this? It's kind of become that piecemeal approach. And whose responsibility is it? Like, yes, it's a federal highway, but who should be the one that takes the reins, so to speak, and tries to really figure out a way to make it at least coast to coast, something that you can say has a standard of care that's similar from province to province to province. Another close call experience being shared by listener Eve, who uh, drives a number of uh, heavy machinery items. And Eve says, I almost uh, I almost drove through a car uh, that did the same thing as, as that bus. Uh, this was in Lactubani. And the only reason I did not make contact was one, uh, the trailer was empty. And two, I was able to turn the wheel after I had slowed down just enough and I missed him by no more than an inch and just to think about what almost happened has to be scary and and weigh on the mind in a way that I'll just simply never understand because I've never driven a a heavy I think that the biggest vehicle I've ever driven was like a a pickup truck and it wasn't even a big one so I have no idea what it's like to to be at the wheel for a, a monster machine like that. But what about even driving your car? Have you not ever had a, a, a near miss? Something well, that, you know, if not for, as they say, for the grace of God, go I. You know, I can remember uh, taking Route 90 coming out of the... I. I'll be honest, it was a Saturday afternoon. I made a beer run for my buddies that were putting together a barbecue for me. And I ran to the St. James Hotel. And took, came out of the parking lot and I wanted to turn left onto Portage Avenue. I don't know if that's Queen Street or what street that is. I think it's Queen. There's a light there. But because of how tight to Portage Avenue the hotel is, I couldn't see to my left. Stopped at the red light, waited, waited, waited. And just as I was ready to go, someone blew the red light going westbound on Portage Avenue. And I was in my MGB. I would have been absolutely toast. Like, I'm talking two seconds, three maximum. Yeah. Yeah. It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Our next guest 
was featured in Global National Anchor Donna Friesen's insightful report on life working on and living and working around the Trans-Canada Highway. I, I've, I've seen too much. One that involved a crash was a car driving up fast beside me, lost control, and wiped out in front of my truck. And it's slippery, I have nowhere to go. And all I see is this girl's face looking at me as she's sliding towards me, and I hit her there. And I'm, I'm thinking, I just killed that girl, you know? And I see the car go spinning off in the side, and uh, I'm, I'm watching it in the mirror because I'm like, don't roll over, don't, like, be fine. If you'd like to see that entire report, go to globalnews.ca. It's very impactful, as is the voice and that story told by David Henry. David joins us now. David is a good friend of the start. I can hear the emotion in your voice there, my friends. You're you're continually recognized as one of the top drivers in the province. Your safety record, impeccable. But that doesn't mean you haven't seen and experienced a ton on the road, David. How did things end up in that incident you shared with Donna? Uh, The two young kids in the uh, car were fine. Um, As far as I know, like no physical injuries. I don't know what their mental challenges challenges have been since then, but I know it still bothers me. There's nothing like seeing somebody's face looking directly at you as they're sliding broadside and you tag them right, right, right there. When that kind of thing happens, you know, David, I think a lot of us can talk about the near misses we've had and whether or not over the years we've become better or worse drivers. And you'd like to think the more experience one has, the better you are on the road. And I don't know if that's true for a lot of the motorists I see out there. I'm curious, in your opinion, all your hundreds and thousands of hours on the road, what have you been seeing from drivers over the years in terms of whether we seem to be getting better or worse at our, all the time we spend on the road? I think this spring, this this year, there's just so many, so many crashes happening and so many fatalities. I, I don't know what's going on this year. It seems like people are just very reckless, and I don't think it has much to do with years of experience, as your attitude behind the wheel. There's a lot of drivers that are that have many, many miles behind them, but they are horrible drivers because their attitude sucks. And as sometimes as we get more miles behind us, we get more arrogant and ignorant towards others around us. And that's something that we need to watch out for. David, you work hard on behalf of truck operators and the psychological impact that crashes and near misses have on the overall on their overall well-being. So could you try to give us some insight into feelings that operators could be having uh, over the past several days? It's uh, it shook a lot of us there. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk among among drivers that I know and uh, trying to make sense of some of what happened and trying to encourage each one to 
pay more attention on the road and to be more mindful of the others. And it's um, it's very sobering and it's very it's horrible that we have to talk about it. But it hopefully we can learn from it and keep moving ahead and keep promoting safety. It seems like sometimes we're just beating our head against a brick wall, trying to get it through to people. But I haven't stopped trying to promote safety yet, and I don't think I will be. I'll keep keep trying to help others. David, help me. Uh, was I dealing with a, a sense of, a false sense of security last summer? I drove I drove from Winnipeg to to California and back with my kids, and uh, part of that trip was with my dad. Part of it was with my was with my wife and my kids the entire time, and I think I felt much safer driving 75, 80, 85 miles an hour on the interstate road system than I do at 55 or 60 miles an hour in Canada. I find that on the interstates, um, one example, you know, if there's a broken down vehicle or someone pulled off into the shoulder, everyone moves over into the far left lane. And if you don't, you're an outlier. is, are the attitudes any different in the States at all? Um, I think in in places you're running uh, kind of on the western side of the country, uh, it is, people are fairly mindful of each other. And you'll get spots in Canada that are like that as well. But um, the interstate system is far and away much better than what we have here and with the limited access and everything and it the roads are smoother um and better maintained that's just a fact and it it is part part of it is that there's more people to pay taxes there but they they take more time to build their roads better it's got nothing to do with the weather i i hate when they say well you know we got bad weather in canada got nothing to do with it there's good ro- good roads can be built no matter what david henry joining us live on 680 cjob he is a truck driver and david we thank you very much for your insight as always we appreciate it sir thank you it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you guys the best program in the morning thank you so much david Another big, we mentioned the Bombers, another big win for the Blue Bombers in Regina on Friday night. That's eight wins in their last eight games versus the Jolly Green Giants. Yeah, the highlight of Friday night's game could end up being the CFL's play of 2023. Corsak, the punt, line of scrimmage, his 30. He'll keep it away from Janarian Grant. Little end over end, gets on the ground and skips forward. Great punt, Grant at the 20 around the first man. And he's going to cut back to the left, jumps through a guy. Around Donkey, stiff arms Pete Robertson, turns off another man, Janarian Grant to the 40, the 50, into Ryder territory. Janarian Grant has got one guy to beat. Janarian Grant is going to score. Are you joking? That might be one of the best kickoff returns I've ever seen in football. That was, (laughs) how does he have that much energy? He ran, uh, according to uh, rough calculation, 170 
175 yards on that that punt return, and I'm sure that the the kicker uh, Lothar wished he had indeed kicked it completely away from Janarian Grant. Jim Toth of the Jim Toth Show and co-host of Jets at Noon joins us now. And Jim, that was a spectacular play for so many reasons. And for the second straight week, the Blue Bombers pile 40 plus points on the opposition. Final score 45-27 on Friday night, but that like nothing more spectacular than the six points Janarian Grant put on the board in the third quarter Friday night and broke the game wide open. Well, just outstanding play. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I I think it's the greatest kick return I've ever seen, and and this is going back. The NFL doesn't have them very much anymore, and but from CFL days to this, 175 yards and a 110 yard field just explains how much running he had to do, and then just the tackles he broke and the stiff arms. Those are sure tackles most times. I don't know if he has an extra gear or or a little <laughs> jiggy jiggy in his in his run to make guys miss right at the right time, but. It was unbelievable, and to your point, Greg, to do it at that point when the riders were kind of going back and forth uh, in a prize fight, uh, counterpunching, it just really sort of put the, the, the foot on the rider's throat and, and told them that this was going to happen and, and we're going to win this game. It really was a momentum-changing part of the game, in my opinion, but, man, an outstanding run. I know the debate has been raging since Friday if it is the greatest, and I'll, I'll debate. I, I can see some comparisons from some people, but I won't have anybody say that's not one of the greatest or, or not we're even close. I, I think it's the greatest kick return I've ever seen. He dodged so many tackles. He stiffed arm. He had to use his speed. And then people don't understand. I mean, it, it's like a fight in hockey, right? When it goes 30, 40 seconds, you don't, we don't understand how exhausting that is. I think once he got from the sideline to the far sideline and then had to turn it up and tiptoe down the sideline, that's when you sort of get tired at the 100-yard mark and he went another 75, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, just 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 crazy, Jim. And so, you know, when you talk about the Bombers and them putting the points on the board, that's one thing. But when you look at the impact Janarian Grant has had on the last four games, this is now, of course, he had a, a punt return for a touchdown, the longest in CFL history in the Grey Cup at Mosaic. So he's got two touchdowns in two games there and three return touchdowns in his last four games. Like, we're going to talk a little bit more about this on, on the Blue Bomber podcast tomorrow, but this is this is the reason the Winnipeg Blue Bombers picked Grant over Lucky Whitehead, who is now arguably one of the one of the most outstanding players in the league. Uh, period. He has such an impact and has the impact potentially on every single time he handles the ball. Yeah, he's that dangerous. You're right, and that is why they had to choose between a salary cap came in, and they had to go one way or the other, and they chose Grant. And he's been phenomenal. He's all. You even talked about it, Greg. Where, whether they should kick to him or not. I mean, if they don't kick to him, then then you're going to get field position, and if they do, that's the danger of it. I mean, it, it, it's the CFL, right? So you have more room, and there there's no better of a position to to sort of specialize in, in my opinion, in the CFL than than returning kicks. If you can do it and have that space, like Grant can, he'll have a long, successful career, as we saw there. And it, it's just the tip of the iceberg, like you said, kick returns, punts. He's so dangerous back there, and then he does get in on a few offensive plays. Even though this team is so deep offensively, they find some packages for him because you never know when he's going to break one. So let's uh, switch to hockey for a second, if we can, Jim, because uh, Kelly Moore's Jets commentary just that we played about oh an hour ago talked about the future of Blake Wheeler, and we want to ask about him specifically. But we're also just looking at Wheeler, PLD, Shifley, Hellebuck. You know what might happen in this off season? Do you have any sense of which one will? Before we talk about who might go, 
which one of those will likely stay a Jet? Well, it, it's hard to say. Like, I, I, I think even Mark Scheifele goes. Um, so, but it all depends on the return, right? And so these are all the balls that Kevin Cheveldayoff is, is juggling. It goes back to those exit day meetings when a lot of fans were upset that he literally didn't say anything while, while saying a lot. And I said back then, he can't address any of these situations whatsoever because he doesn't know um, what, who's going to stay, who's not. And now that that's been clarified a little bit with some of the players that, that don't want to resign here and come, now he's got these balls in the air. It all depends, Loren, in my opinion. Like, if you trade Dubois and Hellebuck and you don't have a bona fide second line or first line center coming back, then, you know, it changes the atmosphere around a Blake Wheeler or, or a Mark Shifley. Um, I know Wheeler's a winger, but he has played center before. So I, I think once one ball drops and what you see the return is, it could impact what they do otherwise. But I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is the first one who's going to go. I think it could be as early as this week. I really do. A lot of people are thinking about the draft at the end of this month, but I think it's been out there long enough. People are making offers, um, and then you go from there. I think Connor Hellebuck goes around the draft. I think those are, are things that sort of get worked out then. And then I think the other two sort of – could go as late as August in my mind or, or sometime in July. I, I do think that there's a trade out there for Blake Wheeler. I know a lot of people are on the buyout and it'd be two and a half million dollars over the next two years, but I just think it's better if they have the cap space with the money that's going out. Keep in mind that if Hellebuck was going to come back and if Dubois were going to come back, it was going to be around seven and six million dollars. If you're trading for younger players on, on ELCs or just even their second contracts and have some space, I, I would just eat half the salary and move Blake Wheeler along. Um, But I don't really see a scenario where some of them stay. I I really don't. I think that this is coming at the right time for this team. I I think it's cathartic. I I think they need to go in a different direction. I know a lot of people said they've needed to do this for years with what's inside the room. And we don't know we're not in that room, but, but I understand that when you have issues in your room and you have that much talent, you, you don't just move people on. You try to make it work. You try to bring other players in. You try to get them to a point where, where they maybe understand things over two or three years. But with the contracts coming up at this point and, and what some of the players want in being out or not re-signing like Dubois and Hellebuck, I think it's a perfect time to sort of move all the core out the four, hand the team over to the Adam Lowry's and the Josh Morrissey's and the Kyle Connors and the Nick Ehlers and, and move forward that way. And I keep saying this on Jets at Noon, and I'll say it again here. You're not selling land in northern Manitoba. You're selling beachfront property in Hawaii. These are highly commod- high commodities that you're going to get a massive return for. It's just a matter of augmenting the lineup in that return and who does what. But I think Pierre-Luc Dubois goes first, I, I think as early as this week, and then the rest of the chips fall. But I would be more shocked or maybe just surprised if all those four players are still here come training camp. I know some people are thinking Wheeler might or sorry, not Wheeler, but Shifley might be. I just don't see it. I think if you're going to move two or three of those guys, you move all four, bring back the return they're going to bring, and move in an entirely new direction on and off the ice. How about selling land in the bustling metropolis of Wenatchee? Because the Winnipeg Ice are Wenatchee. just like <laughs> they're gone. They're no more. They're on their way back west. So was this ever? Was it ever going to work in Winnipeg, Jim? It would have if they had an arena. It honestly would have, in my point. I, I don't know, but, I mean, all you have to do is look at the playoff game at, at Canada Life Centre. It had 5,500 people at it, and the other one had, you know, 5,000. Um, there is a market for the Western Hockey League. I know there's a ton of hockey in this city. I know there's a new basketball team in the Seabears. I know there's a lot going after our dollars, all the concerts, everything like that. 
But the Western Hockey League hockey is a certain demographic of people that, you know, it's a really cheap ticket. It's highly entertaining because junior hockey is, is so talented, but it's also full of mistakes. And when you see mistakes, you see goals. And so I, I'm really disappointed with this, but I'm not surprised at it at all. I think the pandemic really changed things and it changed the cost of building a new facility um, to the tune of if you're trying to get that investment back on the, on the junior hockey ticket and maybe some minor concerts, it just, it became too expensive to do. Um, that's just my theory on it, but it is disappointing. I know the Western hockey league only wanted to come out here in the first place, the board of governors, which is the owners um, because of the new arena. And uh, it was a 1,600-seat arena at the U of M. I don't want to knock it at all because it's perfect for university hockey, but the Western Hockey League and junior hockey in Canada is a 4,000 to 6,000-person event. And when you can't even open the doors to 2,000 people, it really hurts the product. It really hurts where you're going. New facilities have been proven in sports to to get people out, to get people to enjoy the environment. The environment, pardon me. So it's really disappointing. I I know this wasn't the plan. I know a lot of people are saying, well, this was a a foregone conclusion, but I I don't buy that. If they could have built an arena and could have uh, put it in place, I think it could have thrived here. Um, but I know that the minute the arena, it's the minute the arena wasn't going to be built, the, the rest of the board of governors from my sources just wanted this team out of there. Um, they don't like going further. They just don't. And, and where it's going in Washington is a lot closer to, to more than half the league than it ever was coming out to Winnipeg. And I know people say, well, it's only two hours from Brandon, but Brandon's a long way from Regina and, and the Western hockey league has a ton of travel in it already. And, and they just don't like going any further north in Western Canada, and they do not want to go any further west. And it was all hinged on that arena that just never got built, and, and so this wasn't going to be successful. Jim Toth is co-host of Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and host of his own show, The Jim Toth Show, 1 to 3 weekdays on 680 CJOB. Jim, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and have a great day, everyone. And we also, on the sportsing front, just got to give you a heads up. Normally, uh, they, they drop off food on Tuesdays, but they dropped them off on Monday. I Blue wonder bombers. why. I wonder why. They must have known uh, Loren wasn't in the studio today. <laughs> they're, and they're, they're playing on Thursday. What's so there? Again, <laughs> we, Giant uh, taco in a bag. Like, this is taco in a bag. It's Monday. Uh, well... I was, I was surprised as you are. We do breakfast with the Bombers on Tuesdays, so they send us breakfast sometimes for their home games, but they it's send it like on Monday. They know. They, why do they know? $35 jumbo taco in a bag. You can get it at section 140. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Feeds a lot of people. It's, uh, it's a staple in hockey rinks right across Manitoba. And dare I say, even in Saskatchewan. Are you from Saskatchewan? Do they have taco in a bag there? Let us know. Mackling McGarry McNabb, bomber tickets up for grabs for Thursday. We're asking you this morning, what's something that you rely on too much? I rely on Facebook to remind me about birthdays. I missed Loren's birthday on Sunday. Didn't send her a a happy birthday wish because she's basically not on Facebook. Uh, So there was no birthday notification. So that's that's my fault. I got to stop relying too much on Facebook. This listener says, one of our runners up here, I rely too much on Google Maps. It seems like lately several destinations brought me through the boonies and I just feel like I'm going in a complete circle. And indeed, these GPSs, these maps, uh, these these digital maps are not all they're not infallible. Like I went to I've told this before but like 10 12 years ago I went to a wedding reception at Bridges Golf Course. I'd been there one time for another wedding and it was dark when we it was like in December. So it was already dark when we got there. So I had zero memory of how we got there and uh, the map 
I don't know where it took me, but it took me like 30 kilometers out of the way. Oh, that's horrific. So, that's awful. oops. And, yeah. I, and I wasn't the only one at that reception who did the same thing. Brutal. So I don't know what was going on with Google, but uh, that didn't work. But um, Colin, Greg, this was a close. It's a close vote. But Colin is a runner-up this morning by a smidgen. Yeah, by by just one vote. The, I rely too much <laughs> on my wife. I work full-time in sales, and I'm also an elected official in my municipality. I run a first aid training business, and I'm also a licensed marriage commissioner. So I do some weddings here and there. All of the hats I wear take up a substantial amount of time. My wife always makes sure the kids are taken care of, the groceries are bought, the house is in order, all while working full-time herself. I would love to take her out on Thursday night to the Blue Bomber game. She is my rock, and she is the anchor in our family. Thank you. I, I don't. I, I, I can't even speak to anyone that wouldn't have voted for Colin's uh, text. <laughs> I just think, Colin, you know what? You could just take her anyway. Very nice text. Lovely. It's always tough to pick a winner, and it just comes down to the, the wire. And today, Loren, we went with Brienne. Well, I will just say the reason why is that this the timing of this one was just that while we were introducing the topic of saying, hey, tell us about something that you rely on too much, Brienne was literally dealing with something that she relies on too much. I rely too much on this burly working for me, and right now I'm killing time <laughs> to try to get to this text. But please stand by. Something I rely on way too much is my baby's automatic formula maker. It's essentially a Keurig for a baby, prepares the formula, heats the water, all at the touch of a button. It broke this morning. And I realized I relied on it way too much when I had to go look at the formula instructions to figure out how to make a bottle. She's 10 months. I've had 10 months to figure this out, says Brienne. She got it done. Said the pressure of a, of a screaming baby who demanded food right now helped her get it done. But uh... Kids make you do a lot of stuff you wouldn't normal, normally otherwise do. <laughs> In a timely fashion, that's for sure. <laughs> Brienne, congratulations. You're going to the Bomber game on Thursday against BC, and we've got more tickets to give away tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday.